right, back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. It is Cuthbert, and it is Rubinoff this morning. Ailish Forfar will be back on the, in the saddle. You on or in the saddle? You're in the saddle. You can be on the saddle. I think you're in the saddle. You're in the I saddle. I think you're right though. the first. Yeah, yeah. You're in, in the, the saddle. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> the, the, nobody nobody the, knows. A saddle <laughs> will be involved tomorrow with Ailish Forfar uh, back from vacation. Uh, big weekend for the Blue Jays. Jose Bautista will live forever. On the level of excellence uh, at Rogers Center. And to discuss that and more, we're bringing our next guest, Ben Ennis, host of Fan Drive Time. Good morning, Ben. How are we doing? I'm good. Good morning, guys. So uh, we were doing, you know, we we're going through the weekend in the 6 a.m. hour, of course. Uh, we're talking about who's getting popped from the crowd. We're talking about pendants. We're going through it. But I, I want to ask for you, like, who are you most excited to see yesterday? I mean, I think Eddie, when he came out last, I mean, that gets the pop for me. But who gets the pop for you? Yeah, I, I mean, it has to be Edwin Encarnacion, who's who's in the discussion to be the next guy uh, feted and, and sent up to the the level of excellence, right? Like the, those two teams are so well regarded, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, for myself as a guy who basically became a sports fan in ninety two ninety three because of the excitement generated by those two World Series Blue Jays teams, there was like twenty years of man, is baseball ever going to be relevant in this city again? And 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 I I needed to see proof of concept that there were still baseball fans like passionate fervent baseball fans in this city, and fifteen and sixteen gave me that. And and yes, the the guy most responsible is the guy that hit fifty four home runs in in twenty ten, Jose Bautista, uh, and was one of the best sluggers in Major League Baseball over a half decade span. But Edwin Encarnacion, right there, he never wanted to leave either. Right, like I, I know Josh Donaldson won the MVP in in twenty fifteen. Um, but yeah, Edwin Encarnacion had a longer tenure. That guy was was almost as dominant, if not more, in, in various respects than than Jose Bautista. And I mean, had the the parrot thing. Like he he is an individual that uh, I think anybody that was watching those Jays teams half decade ago, yeah, they're super excited to see. And 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 just like Jose, and to a lesser extent Josh Donaldson, because he's still playing and he's with the New York Yankees, just like. You, you can tell loves coming back to this city. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was in uniform in the dugout over the weekend, I think only added to that. Man, the, it was a flood of memories coming back, just watching the 40-minute ceremony and, and seeing the, the tears flowing from Jose Bautista's eyes. When you think about Jose Bautista and his contributions to this organization, what, what sticks out in your mind other than, uh, I guess, the baffle? What do you remember most about the player Jose Bautista? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, how just total found money he was. Like, just mm-hmm. out of completely nowhere. And I talked to I talked to J.P. Ricciardi last week, who was the general manager at the time when they acquired him from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he said, you know, we we were aware of him because we we shared or we our spring training facility was close to the Pirates in, in Bradenton. And we had seen him numerous times in preseason and talking to the – the Pirates general manager, if you ever make this guy available, make sure we're number one on, on your your speed dial. You call us first to, to give us a chance at him. But that was just, you know, as a, as a nice, like, utility player, a guy that could play around the diamond, could play some third base and get on base. Like, nobody, obviously, when you're talking about a guy that took until his, his like, age 30 season to realize this, nobody really saw this coming from Jose Bautista. And they gave up nobody to get him. And and that 2010 season was so like mind-boggling, and then to, to add on to that, so he he has the year 
where I mean, even going into that season, there was a, there was talk of him being non-tendered and and not even getting a chance to to have that 2010 season with the Blue Jays because they had nothing invested in him, giving up a player to be named later who ended up being Robinson Diaz, who in himself was a former prize prospect. So he has the 54 home run season, and then he hits free agency, and then. You know, what do you do with a guy who has had one one good year in Major League Baseball and it's like one of the best years in the history of your franchise? And and there was real discussion as to whether Alex Anthopoulos should hand him the, the deal, the $60-plus million five-year deal that Alex Anthopoulos ended up handing him, and he did. And, I mean, he didn't hit 54 home runs again, but you could argue his 2011 season is, is better than the 54 home run season. It's just this guy at every step of the way – I mean, if not exceeded expectations, lived up to them, and then culminating in a moment that will forever be immortalized, I guess, now in a mural form. But yeah, a formative moment in in the seventh inning of Game 5 in in, uh, 2015. But just, uh, I think it was the competitiveness too, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was, that was what was so off, not off-putting, but like funny in a way to, to see this guy show emotion where he was, so stoic and when he wasn't stoic he was just angry <laughs> because <laughs> mm-hmm. because he wanted to beat you in every way and uh i mean just ask darren o'day um yeah there's there's plenty of pitchers around major league baseball who got to see the the angry side of jose bautista we, we didn't and i know you know guys off the field are a, a lot different than the demeanor they show on the field and his teammates kind of spoke to that but yeah we'd never really seen the softer side of jose bautista until we saw him this weekend Nothing is forever, Ben, but, you know, we were talking about how, like, he permanently or semi-permanently changed the expectations for the Toronto Blue Jays, what was expected of the organization, what they should be striving to do. I mean, I think it, it, you know, broke through the ceiling, created a new ceiling, removed the ceiling. I'm not really sure, but is it hyperbole to suggest that it, it almost extended beyond just the organization, that this city and the fans of sports in this city weren't, like, going to expect accept anything inferior again like it just feels like hey we didn't have nice things and then batista came around and all of a sudden we built something that was amazing and there's a championship for the raptors after and now you can't really you get a little dangerous correlating all these things but it felt like this city arrived as a sports fan partly because of what jose bautista did yeah, well, I mean, there's a little dirty term that used to be tossed around these parts called uh, uh, meaningful September baseball. Remember, <laughs> like for 20 years, that was a goal. It wasn't to make the playoffs. It wasn't to win a World Series. It was to like be relevant in the playoff chase <laughs> going into the final month of the season. Like that doesn't feel like forever ago, but it, it was like that's that's all this, this city wanted. There were, and there were some you know, half-decent teams there over the 20 years between 93 and, and 2015 and playing in uh, the, the the beast division of the American League East where the Yankees and Red Sox were just outspending everybody and, and you only had one wild card made it super, super difficult. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know if uh, about correlating to the, the other sports. I mean, I do in, in a way believe in sports momentum in a city like Boston's had it for seemingly forever. Maybe eventually that's, that's going to wrap up and, uh, and it can go somewhere else. And yeah, it was a pretty good, you know, series of, uh, of, of, uh, years there between the, the Toronto sports teams. But certainly with this Blue Jays team, we, we don't, and again, it's not fair because now we have a lot more wild card spots, a lot more mm. playoff opportunities for the Blue Jays to get into the playoffs. But yeah, there's no more talk of meaningful September baseball. It's because that team went on 
one of, I mean, the, the playoffs get all the, the, the fanfare as they should in, in 2015 in the moment and, you know, game five against the, the Rangers and then pushing the Royals all the way to game six. Like, the final 60 games of the regular season after they were 50 and 51 and traded for Troy Tulowitzki and David Price, and then not only that, but, like, essentially not losing a game is what it felt like uh, during the, the course of that regular season was what changed everything. And, yeah, people – that that's – that's not long enough ago for, for people to forget. So you, th- I think, rightly, the expectation is get back to that and now win a World Series. That, that was the first step. 21-year drought of getting into the playoffs. All right, they did that in 2015. Now the, the next step will be winning a World Series, obviously with a very different core than the one we saw uh, eight years ago. The 2015 uh, Blue Jays uh, had a record of 53 and 51, I believe, at the trade deadline, and this year's team uh, 52 and, and 48 at the deadline. What? Why does it feel like this team is so much more frustrating than watching those 2015, 16 teams? Because at, at the time, obviously, when you made the moves for David Price and Troy Tulowitzki, that injected something into the organization that I think the Blue Jays then were lacking, but. The Blue Jays are currently in a playoff spot. They're 12 games over 500. They are not a bad baseball team, but yet when you evaluate their performance this season, it feels much more negative than those teams in 2015 and 2016. Well, sure. I mean, going into the into the trade deadline in 2015, there was a pretty clear area to to clean up for that team. They could score a bunch like Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion, Josh Donaldson were already on that team. They were mm-hmm. scoring a ton of runs. They had a, I think they had one of the highest run differentials in the American League. But yeah, they were around five hundred because they couldn't pitch. And and they went out and got the the best starting pitcher <laughs> available at the deadline in David Price and they they beefed up the bullpen with guys like Mark Lowe and you know and they, they 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 added some some bullpen pieces there as well, and like most significantly, and I know we we think back, uh, even though he wasn't the, the slugger he was in Colorado, but like Troy Tulowitzki as this offensive shortstop, what he did defensively cleaning up the the shortstop position for the Blue Jays was was hugely instrumental in 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 their turnaround in the final two months of the mm-hmm. season because yeah it, it, pitching I, I you know what I shouldn't have simplified it as saying they they were lacking pitching they were lacking run prevention which is I mean there's two two ways you can do that you can strike people out and you can get great pitching and you can clean up your defense which man I, I remember after they sent Jose Reyes away and Troy Tulowitzki came in I, I was I was counting in game how many outs were recorded by Troy Tulowitzki that I felt like Jose Reyes probably wouldn't have got to. It was like three a game. Like, that's an inning. Like, they, they got an extra inning out of their pitchers in the post-Jose uh, Reyes era because of the defense contributed, uh, contributed by Troy Tulowitzki. And then, I mean, you want to talk about this team? The the clear area need was was offense. And, and clearly... There wasn't a ton out there to be had at the deadline, yeah. right? Like, people had sold themselves on Teoscar Hernandez uh, out of Seattle, and, boy, the Mariners looked like they were smart not to, to sell off too much, although they did sell off their closer, Paul Seawald, and still saw themselves go on, on a surge here that puts them right in in the Blue Jays' rearview mirror as far as the uh, the wildcard chase is concerned. But the, it's the offense as a whole, but more specifically hitting with runners in scoring position, which, boy... Um, 
it, it hasn't made sense all season long. It continues to not make a ton of sense. And I guess this this Blue Jays front office is is figuring there's some huge regression about to take place here in the final 50 or so games of the season where, and, you know, part of it might be that they have a really, they have a, a real soft spot in the schedule upcoming. Yeah. But it's frustrating because a lot of what's happened to this Blue Jays team offensively doesn't make a ton of sense. And, and it's going to be up to the guys that have been here all all season long to make it happen. Uh, alternate reality, Ben. Cody Bellinger signs a one-year prove-it deal with the Blue Jays uh, instead of Brandon Belt in the offseason. <laughs> Where are the Blue Jays right now, if that is the case? Yeah, and I mean, the, no offense to Brandon Belt, who's been real, real good and leads the Blue Jays in, in on-base percentage. But yeah, Cody Bellinger is a guy... I mean, the the Cubs didn't sell at the deadline partly because I, I guess they thought they were close enough to a playoff spot. And again, that that was proven correct, but partly because they want to go into the offseason with a real chance to re-sign a guy that's been a former MVP. I mean, it's 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 twofold. Like for the Cubs, they they got a guy who could be a, uh, a linchpin of their offense going forward. And I mean, that could have been the case for the Blue Jays, a guy that can play like not just capable center field, like above above average defense in the most premium outfield position and can play first base and hits from the left side and hits for power, although the the power numbers aren't quite where they were when he was hitting 40-plus home runs with the Dodgers. That's that's a tough one, though. The guy had like two years where he just looked totally lost for the Dodgers and was why a guy that is a former MVP had to sign a one-year deal with the Cubs. Uh, the Blue Jays, I'd like to know like where the Blue Jays' offer was and whether it was just a matter of not ponying up the the same amount of dough that the the Cubs would to to try and get him or if, or if Bellinger thought hey you know Wrigley pretty good place for me to 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 hit and and re-enter the the free agent pool but no that was it was a guy that the Blue Jays were rightly on and and in retrospect should have done whatever it took to go out and get him uh, Boba Shad said yesterday, Ben, in an interview with uh, Dan and Buck during the game, that the Blue Jays have been indecisive was the the word that he used, indecisive in their approach, and that's why uh, the offense has been underwhelming. But when you watch a game like yesterday, and Bo obviously is still out of the lineup, do you does it give you a little bit of, of hope that maybe, like the front office is probably hoping, there can be some positive regression with those that are in the lineup uh, the rest of the year? I guess. I mean, I would have thought that the three games in Fenway Park would be <laughs> the igniter there, right? It, it didn't last at all. Like, they looked brutal offensively. Now, granted, against a really good pitching Cleveland team in those four games, and boy, I mean, you, hard to get a more disappointing four-game split than they had in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah I, I like... I think Bo's speaking my language when when you look at some of the offensive struggles for this baseball team. It, it just... Too often they look like they're stepping up to the plate without a plan, mm. right? Like or, or guessing, and I, I don't think anybody embodies that more than Vlad Jr. Right? Like this, the Jays just finished this seventeen and seventeen stretch at, at nine and eight, which is all well and good. Like Vlad had one home run over that like more than two week span of games. Whit Merrifield hit four, right? Like you can't go through a, like a, a two and a half week span where Whit Merrifield is out slugging Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's on pace to have like just barely over 20 home runs and and have one of his lowest OPS seasons uh, of his career. It just so often feels like he steps up to the plate not not trying to ambush a particular pitch, uh, 
but yeah, just kind of read and react, which is, I mean, it's that that's like a two strike approach. And I know people view Vlad or uh, they view Bo Bichette as a guy that's just up there hacking because he's not a big walks guy. But no, you can tell that he has an idea of what he wants to hit, and then when he gets to two strikes, then it's just you know trying to put back to ball, which he is. Uh, elite at doing but yeah too often you see this blue jays lineup top to bottom outside of like brandon belt has been the guy that's been consistently all season long capable of getting into deep counts and taking walks and as exemplified by his 370 on base it's just it's a very frustrating offense to watch outside of a couple of guys yeah the problem's twofold right like if there is guesswork that's a problem but there's also guesswork from a lineup over the weekend that has biggio schneider biggio batting in the five hole and that's just not like screaming world series or playoffs to me uh but made worse by the fact that the approaches uh are not what they need to be uh from a pitching standpoint though uh i i guess you know maybe not trim the fat but tighten things up just a little bit go to a six to a five-man rotation and it really is a credit to hunjin ryu who despite only only having three starts, uh, you kind of feel confident when he's out there and you feel confident enough if you're John Schneider to build the five-man rotation with him included. But I am interested in Yusei Kikuchi. So we know Ryu has supplanted Manoa uh, for the foreseeable future here. Can Yusei Kikuchi continue to ascend within this five-man rotation? Uh, I don't see why not. Like, he's he's always had the talent, right? That's why the Blue Jays went out and signed him to a three-year deal because he throws 97 from the left side and strikes people out. And he walked too many guys. That was the, the deal coming in. It was the deal last season, by and large. And he's got that down. And, and, I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break. Like, for my money, uh, he'd be in my playoff rotation. Even if you're in a, a wild card round, we only get three games. It's To me, it's Kevin Gossman, it's Jose Barrios, it's Yusei Kikuchi. Because that strikeout ability is is so, so important once you get to the postseason and, you know, balls in play can turn into errors, can turn into, you know, lucky hits. You need a guy that can, can punch some people out, and it's why... Yeah, Chris Bassett's been a great regular season pitcher, but there were some games down the stretch with the the Mets where it didn't exactly work out for him because generally he's a pitch to contact guy. Which and Hunjin Ryu, same sort of deal when you're talking about a guy who max, maxes out at 90 miles an hour. No, all of a sudden that deal, which boy, at, at times, and I remember having conversations with baseball analysts last year as to like whether the Blue Jays would just look to get out from that deal as much as they could, you know, like have to eat a, a large portion of it to, to wave goodbye to Yusei Kikuchi. All of a sudden, you know, him having this season, being under contract for another year, feels like a huge, huge coup. And and this is, we're in August now, right? Like, I, I suppose he could turn into a pumpkin, but <laughs> it really does, it, it feels like this is what we're going to see, at least for this season. And, and hard not to attribute his resurgence to the the pitch clock stuff right and and getting out of his own head but no i've 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 bought in uh part and parcel to what you say kikuchi's done this year what do they say wins in uh october benny it's uh pitching and defense right and i went back and i looked at uh where the team eras were for the world series champions in the last uh, number of years uh houston second a year ago the braves eighth two years ago the dodgers first three years ago, the Blue Jays uh, flip-flopping with the Seattle Mariners for the major league lead in terms of team ERA. When you look at reasons for optimism for fans to get excited about this team moving forward, obviously to this point, it has not come from the offense, but when you look at the pitching rotation and the bullpen, there's got to be some reason to think that that plays in October now. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the I mean, it's the number one reason why we're talking about this team being frustrating. They're in a playoff spot. They're twelve games over five hundred. They have the best pitching staff <laughs> in Major League Crazy. Baseball. Like, score four runs a game. Like, that's not hard. I mean, it is uh, because it's you know uh, it's a sphere of failure, yeah. cylinder like yeah. that's uh, coming at 100 miles an hour. It is hard, but um, <laughs> no, this this team is capable of of being the best in Major League Baseball. And and somebody I, I think it was on Twitter, sorry X, uh, the other day talking <laughs> about hey, if you just like took that 2015 offense and put it down on this team, yeah, like you, the, the 27 yeah. Yankees would be a peanut yeah. compared to what the 2023 <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays are. No, it's it's. This pitching staff is is great. Like, how how many teams in Major League Baseball can lose a top five Cy Young Award candidate and still pose five capable Major League starters in the rotation? The, the Blue Jays did that. Alec Manoa has been a write-off all season long. No big deal. It's, it's fine. They, they've gotten through that. Jordan Romano, he's out uh, with an injury. And, yeah, they got another guy who's throwing 102, and I understand, you know, gave up uh, the eventual game-winning run in in the middle game of the series. But, no, this is a spectacular, spectacular pitching team with great outfield defense and great defense on the left side of the infield. And we'll see how it looks on the right side of the infield and some, some great catching. They just they cannot score. And, and part of it is, yes, they, they don't hit enough home runs which maybe was an oversight in the way they built this team, but part of it is also just they haven't bunched the hits together with runners in scoring position. But no, the ingredients are there. That's the thing. Could this team win a World Series? Absolutely. They they they, they are more than capable of doing so, and you're right to point out the pitching as the number one reason to be optimistic about it. Uh, last one for you, Ben. Is it as simple as hold off the Mariners and you're in, or is there another avenue for the Blue Jays making the playoffs if the Mariners just keep winning ballgames? Uh, I mean, the other avenue, I guess, would be going on this insane run and hoping for the regression for the Baltimore Orioles, who are a good team, right? Like The, the Orioles are a good team. I don't know if they're like 100-win good, though. They certainly look 100-win good whenever they play the Blue Jays, but there, there's... Yeah, you compare the numbers team by team, and I know this is crazy because we've seen these two teams play head-to-head. The offensive numbers are not dissimilar between the two teams, the Orioles and the Blue Jays, like right there as far as home runs and OPS and yada, yada, yada. And the Blue Jays have far superior starting pitching except for the guy at the very end, right? Felix Bautista is having one of the great relief seasons in the history of the sport, and uh, Yanir Cano has been an incredible find for the Orioles. I know eight games feels like like it's an impossibility that the division would be in play. And I did mention that it's August and you kind of are what you are at this point, except like it was August last year that Bo Bichette was bumped down to seventh in the order. And you thought, boy, what's the future of this guy with this organization? And then went on the run to end all runs last year and ended up again as the American League leader in hits. A lot can change in the last month and a half here as far as individual performances like looking at Vlad maybe he goes on a 15 homer heater here last month and a half and as far as team performance mentioned that soft spot that's upcoming with you you know got a Nationals Rockies a bunch of lesser lights in Major League Baseball yeah if the Blue Jays put it all together I, I wouldn't totally discount the idea of of passing the Orioles and they do have three games upcoming against them as well got to turn around head-to-head against the Orioles but yeah, I, I, the idea of, of winning the division, I don't think should be uh, eliminated. 
Okay, eight games back. I mean, catching the Rays might be easier than catching mm-hmm. the Orioles uh, if if the Mariners aren't going to slow down. Uh, so there are options. Uh, but yeah, some winnable games ahead. Uh, we kept you uh, long, Ben, so we appreciate that. Uh, have a good show later today. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on with us this morning. All right, good to chat. See you guys. Thanks, Ben. That's Ben Ennis of Fan Drive Time. Uh, sports momentum is an interesting topic in a city, right? Like, I, I obviously, what the Blue Jays did did not allow for what Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors to do in 2019. But I think our expectations changed around 2015, where it's like, oh, we can be aggressive. We can go out and get the best player, the best starter, mm-hmm. uh, and the best players in baseball, the best shortstop, and we can be we can be that city. We can be those teams. We can be that sort of market where the expectations are different. And uh, maybe that's part of the Bautista legacy just a little bit. Okay. So we got something to chew on uh, brought to you by great Canadian meats here. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, An interesting one. Uh, um, James Harden, excuse me, is on tour with Adidas, a press event in China. And he has absolutely taken 76ers GM Daryl Morey to task. Uh, We have the audio Again, just like it was with Cotton Eye Joe, it's better playing it than me saying it. So here's James Harden, I believe today, in China. Earl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization of these parties. Let me say it again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of to the applause of many, just to reiterate, because it was kind of faint. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. He says Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's part of. So clearly, uh, James Harden is still looking to be traded. I have, I can't remember a time where where a star player has put a member of a front office, and Daryl Morey is the Sixers president of basketball operations. I can't imagine when a star player has taken a, a front office member to task like that in a public forum ever before. Like that is, we just got this because obviously it's coming from China, but we were both We, we like think blown it happened away. recently because yeah. yeah, there was no chatter of this this morning when we, when we uh, woke uh, blown up. Blown away. Yeah. And we had uh, learned through reports yesterday that Harden was not planning to report to training camp and he has, I think, been longing to go to Los Angeles Clippers, mm-hmm. but trade talks have been stagnant. But this is nuts. Like, he's done. That's it. He's done in Philly after that. You, you, I don't think he, there's any coming back from that. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it, clearly he's not getting what he wants. Clearly, I guess he thinks he's been lied to if he's calling Daryl Morey yeah, a liar. Yeah, lie about that? Give uh, more details, James. Yeah, I mean, on, I mean, yeah, we're just peeling the first layer <laughs> off the onion here. I mean, I guess there's a lot of layers to Morey. There's a lot of layers to James Harden. There's a lot of layers to this story. Uh, but we haven't got to the heart of it yet, no. just yet. So this story will continue to evolve, clearly. Amazing. But it looks like James Harden, if there was, like, hope that uh, things would be patched over, that things would be cool, it does not seem like uh, they're going to get to that point. So James Harden is definitely wanting out of Philadelphia. Uh, we got winners and losers after the break. I guess we could assign one to Maury. We could assign one to Harden right now if we'd like, but we'll go through the entire weekend that was in winners and losers after the break. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's Monday, and it's the Fan Morning Show, and it's one of Cuthbert and Forfar. It's Cuthbert in this case, and Jesse Rubinoff. <laughs> so that means it's time for winners and losers. We'll recap the weekend. Not as busy as it was last weekend. I guess we had the extra day last weekend with the holiday. 
But it seemed like a lot of things were going on. Jake Paul fight, a bunch of weird things to yeah. kind of dig into. But it was another interesting weekend in the sports world. And it's like exclusively going to be that because we were talking about in the first hour. We're kind of turning over the sports calendar just a little bit. We're creeping up on college football, the NFL. Once the NFL's on, you don't have any quiet weekends. So it's uh, we're getting a right to it. So maybe we're, we're, we're winners because we're getting to the point where we're going to have some Love that. other Good things to, to chat about. But uh, the PGA Tour season's winding down. I guess my big winner, aside from Jose Bautista, level of ex- excellence, pretty big win, uh, would be Lucas Glover back-to-back back on the PGA Tour. He does it in the last event before the playoffs and the first event of the playoffs, which is uh, pretty good because it's uh, two massive, massive paydays in a row. Unfortunately, a lot of the chat on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, was his pants. Did you see his pants? <laughs> I saw his pants, man. Like I, I, like, I got a text, someone saying, like, he should just go home now, forget even winning this event. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, it's more impressive to me. Because if you have something embarrassing going on with you, like if I'm, like, sweating through a shirt or I'm on the golf course and I'm sweating in the same way Lucas Glover is, all I'm thinking about is that. And if he knows he's sweating through his pants like the way he was, and he still kept his nerve and won the golf tournament, I'm going to give him even more credit for what yeah. he did over the weekend. So one of my buddies uh, wrote me when it happened, obviously saw, saw what was going on with his pants and said, like, why wouldn't he wear black? And I said, well, it's like 120 degrees there. Like the reason he's sweating is because it's yeah. so hot there and he's uh-huh. like dealing with the heat. So he made the probably conscious decision. Like you saw him and Cantlay who were in the playoff yesterday, both wearing white shirts. I think that was by design yeah, because it was think. so hot out there. So like, yeah, there's trade-offs to be made. Do you wear black and you soak up the, the heat that way? And, and obviously you don't have the situation that Lucas Glover ended up having with his pants, mm-hmm. but you are baking in the heat. So, it's a tough trade-off to make. I actually marvel at the fact that these guys aren't <laughs> dripping in sweat all the time, that they're not Crazy. sweating through their clothes all the time. Like, I think it says something about, like, fabric nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's only one guy who sweats on tour with regularity, and it's John Rom. Like, he, John Rom's always sweating, but it seems like all these guys should just be, like, soaked at all times, and they're not. I'm like, am I the only one who sweats? Well, it's crazy that they still wear pants. Like, I you know on, on Liv, they can wear shorts. It, is. it I, looks I think so it, goofy I, when they're not wearing it pants, does. though. It does. They look like us. But I feel like, like you're, you're, gonna... you're talking about... <laughs> How tennis and golf looks or sounds different. Yeah. If they start wearing shorts, it's not going to look. And they're playing different. loud it's gonna look music like and stuff too. Yes. Like it, they, they really are going for like the the weekend hacker vibe on uh, the live tour. But I feel like I don't know if you believe in you know climate change or whatever it is. The temperature is rising. Like uh, one of the concessions on the PGA tour might have to be okay. <laughs> pants uh, go the Maybe way in twenty five years they'll have enough if things yeah. continue on, on the uh, trajectory that they're going in terms of like global uh climate yes. uh, yeah uh your big winner um demar hamlin uh, okay. first preseason action since uh, january 2nd cardiac arrest mm-hmm. uh, i think uh seeing him back in uniform is just crazy to me like that, that that we've gotten to this point and i don't think you could pick a a more likely comeback player of the year in the history of sports oh, yeah. than demar hamlin if what this guy sits up for one i think i think I mean, I saw yesterday that it was like three to one, like plus really? three hundred. That, that might plus. It's like seems it's like plus it's, money. Yeah, it seems like it's you're free, right. He just has to play. It's free. It's free money if he plays. And not to like we shouldn't be like talking about profiting off yeah. this. I guess, <laughs> but like it's a great story that doesn't need to be you know exploited yeah. in the way we're talking but about. Like, but like he's winning you, that yeah. award. If they're gonna give it to you, like just get go get it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, who who would who would have any sort of challenge to that? I like have, I don't I think no Calvin idea. Ridley coming back from gambling no, on the football same. is gonna win <laughs> the not, hearts and minds not, of voters. Not even close to the no. same. Not even <laughs> no, close. So Demar Hamlin, uh, big winner for I'll, me. I'll, I'll stick in football. Nathan Rourke, uh, oh, first first action uh, with the Jags in this preseason. He's got the highlight of Week One. His touchdown pass. I don't even know who it was to, to be honest. Uh, where he broke four tackles. He's being actively dragged down by a guy who's probably 265 pounds at minimum and throwing a dart into the end zone was awesome. He's the only guy who belongs to two teams. Like mm-hmm. he is both a CFLer and an NFLer despite being an NFLer because at BC or in BC, uh, they're playing his highlights there and everyone on the BC Lions is celebrating. He's like still part of the BC Lions. It's still a part of his resume a part of his affiliation he's a bc lion but he's also a jacksonville jaguar and i was kind of like questioning the decision like you want to play behind trevor lawrence like what's the ambition there do you just want to hold a clipboard like what are you doing and i still don't know if it was the right move or the wrong move yeah but i do know if you do what you did in the preseason you know look good you can buy yourself some time and maybe one day you play yourself over the multitude of preseasons into a spot where people want to take a look at you. And this is just a start. It's just one game. It's just one brilliant highlight. But Nathan Rorick making uh, making some headlines in his first weekend in an NFL preseason game. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Choosing the Jacksonville Jaguars, to your point, is such an interesting decision for Rourke because there's a bunch of teams around the league that have like pretty clear QB battles where you would think that Rourke would be more in the conversation to be a starter or even a definitive backup because that's, let's face it, that's what he's uh, vying for right now is to be the backup to Trevor Lawrence and it doesn't look like that's even going to happen. But that is a type of highlight that might stand up as a top, what, 5, 10 highlight the whole year and it's a preseason highlight like it was that ridiculous being dragged down like you said and not only like being dragged down and getting the throw off that thing was a laser mm-hmm. like that wasn't cannon so showing off the arm uh shout out to to nathan work because that was outstanding uh, i got a couple more football ones uh baltimore ravens they get a winner because mm-hmm. they always win in the preseason they run their uh winning streak in the preseason to 24 uh they pick zay flowers I think in the first round. Anyway, I think they they used a a high selection on a new wide receiver, Zay Flowers. He was a freshman in high school the last time the Baltimore Ravens lost in a preseason game. And in addition to that, your boy Garrett Wilson, uh, there was was, uh, an interesting tweet that was going around with Garrett Wilson basically wearing or doing exactly what Sean Payton <laughs> doesn't that. want his players I to do. Of course, that. Sean Payton's the the uh, head coach of the Denver Broncos now, but he was saying kind of what the rules were uh, once you're out of a preseason game or how you should conduct yourselves. No uniforms off after you're done playing, no sunglasses, no Gilligan hats, no interviews during the game. So, of course, Garrett Wilson may or may not be related, but in a bucket hat, wearing sunglasses with uniforms off, doing an interview uh, during the game. And a lot of people thought that was a direct shot or a brilliant troll job. Are you surprised that the Jets are, like, taking the approach of being cocky with Rodgers? Like... It's, well, I, this was a response too, I think, because because Peyton was taking shots chirping, and hacking. Yeah, and, this has been a long, so a long. There's thing. like a little thing brewing. I think they yeah. they meet each other in week five, which 
you know, if this continues, it'll yeah. be even more interesting Payton than it already definitely is. broke the code. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I, I just feel like when I look at the Jets and, and some of the things that they're saying, like the Sauce Gardner pendant for Rodgers, like they're putting themselves out there as mm-hmm. like, we've arrived, but they haven't really done anything yet. And Rodgers uh, uh, remains to be seen if he's the same guy as he was in his prime years in Green Bay. So it's, I'm interested to see how, how that pans out. But just like, you could could have gone two ways. Could have just been quiet. Mm-hmm. unassuming and make your statement on the field. And they have not chosen to do that. Yeah, that is true. I, I do think though, you know, they would know better than us in terms of where Aaron Rodgers <laughs> sure. is at for sure. for sure. But if Aaron Rodgers like feels like Aaron Rodgers and you're Garrett Wilson, who had a brilliant year with, you know, it was a Mike white and in yeah. a, a little bit of uh, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, yeah. a blanket on the name and good reason because Zach Wilson's not much of a, uh, a factor anymore. If all of a sudden you upgrade to that and you felt so good about what you had other than at the quarterback position, maybe there's reason to be a little flashy. And this Jets team, like when they have been good, they mm-hmm. have been loud. So maybe it makes sense. Yeah, no, there's no question. Like I, I look at that division and <laughs> you thought the Bills were going to, I don't know, walk to another division title because the Dolphins are there and uh, you never really know what the Patriots are, but the Dolphins had, if you can keep two healthy, they, they can be there. Yep. But now it's almost, I don't want to say a toss up, but the Bills certainly have someone in the rearview mirror now that they didn't otherwise have. And that division has become a lot more competitive than it has in the past. The AFC East being as good as it is without the Patriots being uh, expected to be good at all is kind of music to my ears. Like, yeah. I, I'm, you know, we're a little bit more partial to the AFC. I guess we're closest to the AFC East. It is more interesting to me when the teams are good uh, and there's competition. It is, it, it's, it makes the NFL uh, even better than it is. So, uh, I, I mean, it, it feels like that's front and center in my mind. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we're going to see there because there are layers to it. It's going to be exciting. And I think Buffalo, I think people are sleeping on Buffalo. Yeah. Like, the hype was crazy last year at this time has def- has definitely diminished but this team hasn't changed much they're still gonna be really really good and maybe the lower expectations maybe you know what all that happened last year not that that would not like you know it's it's more than just Demar Hamlin with what happened last year but like maybe last year and not meeting your expectations and having things go and a lot of things go wrong will help this team sort of refine its center and maybe they're going to be what we expected last year is what we're going to see this year. From yeah, Buffalo. it definitely felt like a sour ending for the Bills, right? They The offense could not perform in the postseason, and you had Stephon Diggs kind of going after Josh Allen on the sidelines. So the lasting image of last season was not a good one. And then you had in the offseason more drama, what you thought hearing from Stephon Diggs, and maybe there were rumblings that he wanted out, wasn't communicating with the organization. So there were some bad vibes there for a little bit, but their talent is there. Like they have what it takes to win. And I was, you you talked about Lucas Glover. I was watching the golf broadcast yesterday and Jim Nance uh, had a little Super Bowl prediction. He's like a Bills, Bills Cowboy. So he has the Bills going to the, uh, going to the Super Bowl this year. So uh, I don't know if that's an announcer's jinx, but uh, nonetheless, uh, there are people that, that believe in in the Bills and I believe it's for good reason. Nance putting himself out there mid-August. I don't think he meant to. I think it was, um, it was Trevor Immelman who just uh, blurted it out and Nance is like, I, I thought that was like, private but i guess we'll go with it oh, okay. Okay. i nice. guess we'll go nice. with it now yeah but it's so, real then it's yeah, not exactly. him just uh, making cowboys. something up yeah. no he likes bills <laughs> cowboys all right I'm, I'm down for that uh one more winner for me cedric mullins uh outfielder for the yeah. baltimore orioles in the span of 20 minutes had a game saving catch i mean he robs a home run it didn't i guess it didn't save the game but he, he prevents the game from being tied with a catch over the wall so brilliant stuff i mean mm-hmm. that's always going to be a great highlight 
but he then, within a space of 20 minutes, hits the game-winning home run. So if you save the game and then win it, there's something missing. Uh, clearly, they gave up another run, which is, makes this like it's something you clearly don't see every day, but maybe you've never seen because it requires that extra thing where you, you save the game, but the game gets blown mm, yeah. right after that. So Cedric Mullins both saves the game and then wins a game, which is pretty cool for the Orioles and good for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, no question about it. And talking to Ben, man, like uh, there have been so many points at this during this season where I thought the division doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. Like there have been so many times where they start to hit the ball a little bit and obviously the pitching's there and mm-hmm. they get to, get it down to like six or five and a half. And you're like, uh, schedule opens up a little bit, gets a little soft here. And then they have series like they did against the Guardians and the Cubs and they just it, you come right back down to earth. But yeah, I don't think you can eliminate the division yet. Orioles are good, but I'm not sure well, they're great. I'm not sold that they're great. I say it's good for the Blue Jays because I have readjusted my expectations. Yes. Like, I don't think you're chasing down the Orioles. Despite no. you have three games and you have time and you have those winnable games. And it, it feels like despite how, like, treacherous, not even treacherous, just important yeah. the end of the, the season is in terms of playing in the American League East. Like, you can make up a lot of ground there. And there are winnable games before that. But I just don't expect the Orioles to slow down. Like, I think if you're ch- catching anyone, it's the Rays who have... Some issues potentially going on right now as well. But I think it was good for the Blue Jays in that I'm really worried about the Mariners. Like, I don't think the Mariners are going to slow down. And you have to outgun one of these teams, whether it's Tampa, Houston, Mariners, or Orioles. And I Mm -hmm. think the one that's most likely is definitely the Mariners. And I think the least likely one is probably the Orioles. So I I think we should be at this point hoping the Orioles win games, especially when they're playing the Mariners. So shout out to Cedric Mullins for that. Uh, the biggest loser for me, I don't know if you saw this clip going around. There was a flight. I don't know if it was in Australia. I don't know if it was domestic. Mm-hmm. But anyway, a lot of Australians on a flight. And they're all watching Australia <laughs> in penalty this. kicks yeah. versus France. And there's a bunch of, like, there's probably 15 televisions that you can see in the video. All of which, with the exception of one, are on the game. All and synced, everyone's yeah. cheering. The only one that's not, which is front and center, is Lord in the Ri- Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings is playing. I saw that. <laughs> like what if that person is the biggest loser. That leads me to believe it was a long flight because the Lord of the Rings uh, movies yeah. are it, pretty it, long. It better be a long but flight. Yeah, that was... like, oh, I'm just going to watch half of Lord of the Rings instead of <laughs> exactly. one of the big moments in sport for Australia this year. Yeah, it's definitely a loser move. Or uh, if you like uh, to make your own decisions and uh, be your own person, not a follower, I guess uh, you could you could be a winner I, too. I suppose. Um, okay, loser for me. Uh, we were talking about teams the Blue Jays are, are going to have to hold off here down the stretch and the Mariners being one. I probably won't have to worry much about the LA Angels mm. who I think uh, made a just a brutal error in not trading Shohei Otani at the deadline, not getting anything for him. They immediately lose six games coming out of the shoot. And now Otani, uh, we received news yesterday, is going to be skipped for a start because he has arm fatigue. So just about everything that could go wrong for the Angels has gone wrong and uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I even think at the time people were like, okay, you'll, you'll offer him a lot of money in the off season, but he's probably not staying regardless of what happened. So they went for it. It's not working out for yeah, him. Yeah. I think he put his hand up and, and said, I need this too, which is yeah. not a good thing when uh, the athlete is telling you, cause he probably wants to go out there uh, and compete and cannot. I thought you were going to go with the Yankees who blew a four run lead <laughs> in on the ninth inning too, yesterday. Yeah. Like if you, are we at the point where we cannot worry about the Yankees and angels anymore? I don't, I don't Maybe know. not the Red Sox. I think the Yankees are, are yeah, they're, they're, this they're is tough. Well, if I'm saying, that the, the, if coffin, I'm saying that the Angels are out of it, then the Yankees, who are just a game ahead of them, are probably in the same boat. I mean, any lineup with Aaron Judge scares me, but it feels like whenever the Yankees get any little semblance of momentum, 
it goes right back the other way. Like what are the lasting images for this Yankee season for you? Like I think of the Aaron Boone ejection from last week with the the <laughs> la- imitation of yes, Las Diaz was fantastic. And then just like judge running into the wall at Dodger stadium that kept probably him up that. the next three it's months. Probably that. Just like, just a horrible year it, all around. It actually might just be every time the Yes Network puts up their their lineup in their outfield, and it's just like, how is that a Yankees lineup? Yeah. Like, it really, really is bad. Like, we, we were talking about the Blue Jays and how, obviously, one uh, injury to a really important player in Bo Bichette has made everything look a little bit underwhelming, especially the, the, the depths of the lineup and how one guy changes sort of how everything looks. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you need that with the Yankees. Like when Aaron Judge is playing, it still looks pretty bad uh, and un-Yankee-like, right? Yeah. Like you're expecting money and big names and even guys that used to be something and maybe the reason why they're not a good team is because they overpaid guys who used to be something and did it for a different team. But we don't even have that with this version of the Yankees. It is strange to see their lineup every time it pops on my screen. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. It's just the bizarre uh, construction. They don't have the pitching that the Jays have either. There, right so when you're looking for positives on that team like w- where are you possibly looking and they they made the playoffs or this will be the first time they missed a playoff since since 2016 so the frustration seems like it's boiling over in new york for good reason they are f- only five games back they're two games above 500 they got plus one run differential which means they're finding ways to win when probably they shouldn't i guess you know being 60 and 58 and a one run a plus one run differential is kind of on the nose mm-hmm. but uh, you know, Boston's uh, Boston's plus 29, Seattle 58, Toronto 59. Like, they're closer than they probably should be, which maybe is a little bit scary if you, you know, have been tracking the Yankees and <laughs> for, you know, multiple decades yeah. where they just seem to find ways to do it. But uh, this year does feel a little bit hopeless for them. Uh, I'll go to – this is a bit of a, like – a blanket statement. I don't know if it's Champions League. I don't know if it's European football, but a lot of domestic leagues got started over the weekend. The EPL had their first weekend, first match mm-hmm. day. And I guess it doesn't really affect the EPL, but like Neymar is now going to Saudi Arabia. And the messy <laughs> thing has been so good here. Like it's been so good to talk about, so good to watch. I can't wait to see him in big matches. I can't wait to see him come to Toronto. I can't wait to see TFC play Messi. Like that's all exciting stuff. But when you look at like the big competitions, especially in Europe, the Champions yeah. League, and Neymar is not going to be involved. Messi's not going to be involved. Cristiano Ronaldo left uh, Saudi Arabia as well. Kareem Benzema, who is one of the stars of the Champions League over the last five years, he went to Saudi Arabia, I believe, as well. It seems like everyone's leaving, and it's not going to be, like, devoid of talent, clearly, in the, in the top domestic leagues and in that tournament. But a lot of the big names, a lot of guys who could still star on the biggest stage in global football are leaving, and it kind of sucks now that I'm thinking about it for the Champions League itself. Yeah, it's like uh, for soccer fans, like, yes, it's a it's a very global sport, and this is just making it even more of a global sport than it already was. But for me, like, I I find it hard to follow everything, right? Like, when you're, when you're looking at things you want to follow. It's easy to just be like, oh, you want, okay, you want to watch Messi, uh, PSG. I'm not going to watch PSG on a Saturday morning, yeah. but midweek, if they're playing Barcelona, yeah, sign me up for that. Let's exactly, do it. exactly. And now it's like, okay, you, you got to... Subscribe to Apple TV to watch Messi play yeah. in MLS. Then you yeah. gotta find a way if you want. If you're a huge soccer fan, you want to watch the leagues in Saudi Arabia. Like that's a that's a different time zone. That's a different time you're watching that too. So it just feels that's like another it's, subscription. Yeah, that's another <laughs> subscription. So it's just becoming very uh, bifurcated. The world of soccer, which is is interesting because it is has always been a global sport. Obviously, uh, the most popular sport in the world. 
but I don't know what to make of all this. But you're these right. Stars Champions leaving. League was the hub where it was like, okay, I don't have time for all this, yeah. but if everyone comes together, then it's here for me and it's very convenient, yes. right? And that's. It's still happening, but not with some of the biggest names in the world who are being lured to other places. I mean, I'd probably take the money too, for being honest. But that's I mean, a lot. Although we were saying only a hundred million yeah. from Neymar <laughs> yeah. over two years. Yeah. Did Messi get like one appearance? Hundred yeah. million. Is Messi's like getting revenues from Apple TV, and Neymar only gets a hundred million dollars. So only a hundred million. And my last loser is Mark Zuckerberg. It looks like he won't be able to beat up Elon Musk. Yeah, Apparently the fight is off. So okay, I- I'm gonna take the opposite view on this one. I'm going to go Elon is the loser in this scenario because Zuckerberg released text messages to uh, Mm, a a writer, author, uh, Walter Isaacson, who does like a lot of the great biographies uh, of our generation. And Elon basically is is ducking Zuck. Like that's what's happening here. Yeah, definitely. Elon wants to, he he suggested to Zuckerberg that they have like a private practice fight in Zuck's backyard, (laughs) Octagon. And Zuck's like, I I don't want to do that. Like I take this Uh seriously. I've been fighting. I've been doing jujitsu for a while now in competitions and stuff. I'm not like doing it out of the public eye. If you want to challenge me publicly, Mm -hmm. I'll fight you. I'll get Dana White involved. Because he knows, right? Yeah. He knows he's going to win. He knows like if they have a true fight. And that's what I think. That's why he's the loser because I think like Elon's the loser for backing out and like feigning interest in this. But Mark Zuckerberg's training so he can beat someone up and wants to do it because Mm -hmm. like everyone's been dunking on Mark Zuckerberg forever, right? And he wants this moment where he looks tough or he looks like accomplished. Like he's going to get the glory. Now he's not going to get the glory because if he fights someone real... He's probably going to get, you know, his lunch handed to him. For but Elon, sure. he could handle, for yeah. sure. Elon's, it's funny because Elon's so, so much bigger. But Zuck, like, this is Zuck's, Zuck's hobby. Cut. Like Zuck's this, cut Yeah, now. this is his hobby. Like, this is what the guy does. So uh, if it was up there on the, the odds, I would take Zuck. But it appears uh, Elon's ducking him. Yeah, Elon ducking Mark Zuckerberg Tough. in the year 2023. Busy final hour, busy 8 a.m. hour. We'll have Caitlin McGrath on to talk about the Blue Jays from The Athletic. And then we'll have Jeannie Bouchard on at 8.30 to talk about her time on a Sportsnet panel. Of course, the National Bank Open. The 8 a.m. hour is busy, and it is next.